Hello, welcome to the Mentel podcast brought to you in association with Bare Naked Foods and Bowling Premier Sportswear. Uh, I'm Mark Crothers, as usual, uh, by my side. I have Matthew Smith. Uh, we're here to talk all things mental health and we have a very special guest coming up later. Uh, Matthew, strange times we're living in at the moment. Um, I mean, we are by our side, but we're not literally by each other's side, are we? Yeah, well, yeah. Our heads are next to each other. Sounds on the screen. A bit, sounds a bit weird, mate. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, I put the screen in, don't worry. <laughs> no, you know how how are you coping during during lockdown, or how have you coped during lockdown? Um, yeah, all good. Um, managing and just kind of trying to plod on with it, keep myself busy, trying to train. Um, had a few dodgy haircuts as we've gone through as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's been it's been hard. Um, I think my my kind of time's been amplified a little bit because uh, my dad's uh, been unwell and um, got a bit of bad news that he'd found a cancerous lump but we're kind of out the back of it now and and hopefully getting the, the all clear soon and um, just going through some treatment so yeah it's it's been tough for a different reason but then obviously with everything that's going on being away from people and stuff has probably been it made it a bit more difficult obviously not being able to see my mate Mark as well has, has made it hard. I mean, there was a lot, lot of take in what you just said there, and I think it'd be only right if I, you know, broached it one of the key subjects you just said. Uh, mm. We are doing this by a video call, and you know, the dodgy haircut is quite, quite obvious. <laughs> I can see bleach blonde hair here. You'll not be able to see it, obviously, via an audio podcast. But uh, make that shot, and I've got to be honest. I, I think it's actually okay, you know. I know, but, I, I, but I, considering it's been done purely in this household, I don't think it's that bad. It's the only thing is like. Eminem's been on the phone. He wants his hair cut back in 2000. So, um, I'd say it's more a school field than an Eminem. <laughs> Fair enough. Whatever you need to do to get close to certain presenters that he's got beside him. Um, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Who you know, of course. You know Holly and Phil. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Good Best friend. Mate. Good Best friend. mate, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, as I said, after that inane chat, um, we are joined by a very special guest. He has been patiently waiting, listening to us ramble on. Um, it is uh, former Newcastle United Academy goalkeeper, uh, Brendan Pearson. Brendan, uh, welcome along to the Mental Podcast. We apologise for making you sit and listen to us waffle on, um, but welcome along. How are you doing? Doing it. I'm good, thanks. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. a little chat between you two. It's quite funny, to be fair, but thanks again for having me on. That's good. At least someone, at least someone enjoyed it. So that's a, that's a good start, a positive start, I guess. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about your story, about um, your, your journey as a young footballer and your experiences of mental health and um, your very exciting podcast that you've launched. I was going to say new podcast, but it's not, it's not new anymore. Um, yeah, it's been out a bit now. I, th- I think first and foremost, same as I said to Matthew, how, how are you coping with lockdown? I've, honestly, it's been quite weird. I've been quite lucky. I think the scenario that I'm in is probably the ideal situation to be in in lockdown. I've got my family, my girlfriend lives with me. I've got a gym downstairs. I've got plenty, because I live in the countryside, so I've got plenty of kind of places to go, go for a run, go for a walk. So I've been quite active. And then also now that with obviously my job that I'm doing, I'm in a personal training, I can go out and do outdoor PT. And the weather's been not too bad, obviously hit or miss. So I've quite enjoyed it. Um, but I think I've just been in a very fortunate situation with obviously my setup and where I live and stuff. It, it's been a strange time because I feel as if the 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 talk around mental health has um, maybe got a bit louder during lockdown. People have actually looked at, you know, how, how can you cope when you can only get out once a day as it was in the early part of it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been quite interesting in that sense. I've found that there are people being a bit more open and coming out and saying, I'm struggling, what can I do? And, mm-hmm. and looking for help. Uh, yeah, I, I think as well, though, a lot of that has been because a lot of us have had what we would normally have to help us to cope with our mental health is being pulled away, whether it's good or whether it's bad. You know, even for the people who, if they've had a crap week or go to the pub on a Friday night, like that, they can't do that. So we've almost been stripped back to a certain extent. Obviously, mm-hmm. Like, like you say, Brendan, you know, you've still got access to some... I'm fortunate that I've still got access to stuff. I've got my family around us and stuff. But the stuff that would normally help people, we haven't been able to do, have we? Mm-hmm. I think it depends what type of person you are as well. I think if you're a very kind of extrovert person and outgoing, you probably do miss that. Like, you're on about going to the pub and stuff on a Friday night, Saturday night, and interacting with people. 
Whereas, like, especially if you're living maybe on your own or maybe with your partner, like, there's, there's been, I think the divorce rate, uh, rate has went up quite a bit as well the last few months as well. I've seen, I've seen an article or something about that, which is quite, like, it's not surprising because I think your true problems do kind of show when you're in a scenario where you're very isolated and you have to maybe only interact with one person face to face. Whereas if you are around loads of people, you can kind of hide your problems that are in your head and kind of just get out of that zone and just interact with people, which does help. But like you said, it's been it's been a probably a difficult time for a lot of people who do have them kind of them problems that are internal they don't really expose quite a lot. I'm going to make absolutely zero comment on that divorce thing. Uh, anyway, <laughs> move, move, move. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I told I told my missus that I'm glad we didn't have to spend all this with each other because we'd end up killing each other. So I, I'm happy to make that comment. Try, uh, <laughs> try try throwing two kids under five into that mix as well. Um, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Brendan, if we can just go back to your your, your football career, um, started out in Newcastle United. Um, at, a, at a very early age, we should say as well. Um, mm-hmm. Worked through the system, um, got to under twenty threes level. Um, what sort of uh, what sort of support were young players given then? Um, in terms of you know that obviously the mental strain of being a young footballer can be be quite severe when you're trying to um, chase that that dream of playing in, in the Premier League or playing as a pro. So how how did the club support you? I think there was still, we did a little bit of kind of psychology stuff, but we weren't, I don't think there was a lot done in terms of that. I think people were always told, like, even I remember when I went, first went in at under 10s at the end of the season, it was like a little presentation. I don't think they really do it that much anymore, but they get all the academy, like all the academy lads in at St. James's do a presentation. And I remember, I think it would have been Joe Joyce at the time did a presentation. He was saying, look, like in this group of lads, there might only be one, maybe two that actually make it. Um, like, but when people say that, you don't you don't always think like, oh yeah, he's ignore what he says. We're all going to make it. It's all fine. That's all you have in your head, kind of thing. So that's all we really got kind of told about the realization of like what the reality of football is, kind of thing. There is actually going to be only one or two that make it, and then some of you might not end up playing football by the time you're even 18. So there wasn't masses amount of like that was kind of done in terms of that which I feel like one of the reasons why I want to come on the podcast to talk about it because I don't feel that there is enough done especially when the lads maybe get to the point where it's 16 years old they're going to go into maybe an apprenticeship or maybe they're not going to get that that scholarship and go full-time and then even after that there's a lot of lads that I played with in my apprenticeship 16 to 18 when they left and literally that was their football career completely gone and they probably it's probably a big reality hit yeah. And even more so, I think the more that you're in football, especially full-time, and then you kind of get to that point where maybe you don't get a contract or you can't find another club or you get an injury, it's, it's, it's even tougher the further down the line, which is why you probably you see it a lot with like professional footballers, even when they retire at 40, they struggle when they come out of the game because it's a big reality hit because it's a complete change of career, complete change of lifestyle, everything, when you do leave that full-time football. So... Yeah, in terms of the help that we got, we obviously, there was a great support network in terms of like myself, my family and stuff. I had a good bunch of friends and the coaches were all great, but there wasn't really enough kind of really focused on that aspect of the reality of football and what it can be like. And um, yeah. so that's why I feel more can be done. So, I mean, you mentioned there the, the success rate of academy players, if you want to call it that. It sounds a terrible way to phrase it, I think. But yeah. in terms of players that have progressed in that first team squad that you, you, you played with, there probably was actually only one or two, I'd imagine. Yeah, to be, to be fair, I think my age group and like around my age group, we were pretty successful. So my age, age group, we've got Adam Armstrong, obviously, doing really well now. Freddie Woodman doing really well. Um, Kyle Cameron's playing down at Torquay. There's a few lads, Carl Williams and Morpeth. I'm trying to think, uh, Liam Gibson, he's still obviously at the club. Um, who else I'll end up forgetting people and then obviously the year below I had Sean Longstaff below that Matty Longstaff stuff. so I think I was my year group was pretty good for like homegrown talent like yeah. very good um, which is like obviously not as not as common as you as you think but like, like I said we were quite lucky in the age group that we have Matthew you've obviously been through that process at, at Harleypool as well yeah I think I, I, to- I totally agree with you in terms of you you, you always have to think when when somebody says, oh, well, only only 1% are going to make it and stuff, but you have to have, if you're going to make it, 
you have to have that tunnel vision that you are going to be that 1%. So you almost kind of ignore that. Um, but actually, and I, you hear so many players say of being taken out of the bubble, of being in that bubble and then, and then taken away, especially for somebody like you where for almost, more, well, most of your life, you've been in that bubble of being told you need to be here for a certain time. You turn up, it's always, you know, really well organised. You get a good quality of coaching. Um, you know, you'll get well fed, all that sort of stuff to then having that stripped away. It, it, it's it's a new norm. It's it's kind of like what's going on at the minute. It's a new normality, and you have to adapt to that in, in some certain ways. It, I, I've seen um, another uh, lad that we've talked about, uh, talked to, sorry, um, talking about this on social media. Uh, Jack Robson and put on in terms of the after you leave a club, what happens next, and having more of a support network from the club. And I think. There's a massive discussion you can have of around actually what what the what the could be doing more of, um, because you know at, at the end of the day this that's a, a lad's livelihood being taken away. I, I I remember when we were working in one club, um, present to some parents, and one of their parent one of the parents in that had said one of my main concerns is my kid is being taken away potentially from his mates that he's known for. 10, 12 years, yeah. just gone and won't see them pretty much at all, unless it's outside of the, gone from seeing them every day to not really seeing them. You have actually just stripped away my next question there, because I was going to ask about Jack. Um, obviously, Jack's comments on Twitter where he was talking about the, the lack of support and um, how it impacted on him. For yourself, again, I think it's another um, aspect of, of young footballers that people don't really appreciate you, you you picked up a number of injuries and and people don't appreciate the the mental impact of of having that injury um uh you know those injury issues that you had how, how did you cope with that yeah it is injuries like uh it is a one of the like honestly i don't wish injury on any young lad especially because the one thing that you want to do is go out there and play football and then talking about kind of not seeing your teammates and stuff you're missing out on that aspect. Like you can still have banter with them outside, like went in the change room and stuff and around dinner and stuff, but it's not the same as going out to training and something might happen in training. The people are having a bit of banter about that. There might have been an argument or whatever. You're missing out on that. As much as you try and get involved and in you feel like you are kind of you're left out and in your own kind of little little circle with like luckily yeah. when I was there I had a few good few good lads who were also injured like with a few long term injuries. Um, so I kind of got on with them we kind of had a little group going which was alright but if I didn't have that like especially there was times where I was injured on my own that was when it was really like I was literally just in the physio room just and then going in the gym looking outside seeing the lads training and I was just sat in the gym on my own just thinking like, like this isn't this isn't what I want to do this isn't yeah. what I've kind of sacrificed my whole life for I want to kind of I want to be out there and I want to be involved with the lads so it is very tough mentally there's so many different mental aspects when you're when you are injured, like missing the missing the team, traveling away, maybe maybe missing out on like a game to like if you win at the weekend, you're missing out on that kind of feeling, that buzz, and then coming into Monday morning, it's like you kind of get into the habit of being, especially with long term injuries. I've done a podcast with Liam Smith, so he's he was one of the people who was injured quite a long time with me. Yeah, he struggled, um, and we both talked about it. Like you get into like. It's like a different mindset, as in your job is now being injured when you're out long term. It's really, it's a really like your mindset switches from like kind of, especially when you get to the point like we had, where we both had a long term injury, we had an operation, and we're meant to see the light at the end of the tunnel. We got to the point where we we're meant to be back fit, but we weren't back fit. We were still miles away, and we we're like, it was like a never ending kind of journey. So your mindset um, switches from right, I'm going to get back fit on this day. This is what this is going to happen. I'm going to go maybe the 21st of September or something, that'd be day. Once you get to that day and you're not fit, you're like, right, what? Like, why am I still doing here? Like, yeah. And then you just kind of get get used to, it's a bad way of saying it, but you get used to being injured and the routine of going in for physio, getting a bit of treatment, doing a session on the bike, coming back in the afternoon when all the lads are left, doing a gym session. Um, so it is a completely different mindset, I feel, especially long-term injuries. For yourself as well, I always think the, the most mentally challenging position on the pitch is is goalkeeper. It's uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you only have one keeper a game, so it's it's. And looking at the pool that you were in, you know, you look at people like Nathan Harper would have been there at the time he got involved with the first team. 
Um, you mentioned Freddie Woodman. He's obviously had great success at a young age. Paul Wollstone, I think, would have been a year younger than you or two years Yeah, younger. yeah. Um, I think he got a first-team opportunity. Would I be right in saying that was because of your injury? Uh, sorry, a, 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 a 23s opportunity because of... Yeah, because I was... I remember that day, it was Jack Bennett was maybe playing. I think, I can't remember if he was injured or ill or something like that. And then it was him and then young Ben Smith on the, on the bench uh, for the reserve game. I remember watching that and how I was... That was one of the most frustrating thing, frustrating thing for me, knowing where I could have been. Like, you can never say, like, oh, I could have been here. But, like, what I was missing out on kind of thing, like, opportunities that like, And, like, fair play to the lad, he took it and done really well and, like, pushed on. But... It is really frustrating thinking like that was me, and then obviously I had tw- I don't have Twitter anymore. I had Twitter at the time, looking at all the tweets like, "Oh, young lad making a good, having a good game, making these saves and stuff." And it is, it is frustrating, and like it can really beat you down um, and not your confidence, especially when like the next day you see everyone's buzzing about, "Oh, see, oh, you see how well he done and this like that," and you're like, "That that should really be me, and I should be the one kind of pushing on." But at the end of the day, like. I was always in the mindset like I can't really, I can only control what I can control sort of thing. So it did beat me, beat me up a little bit at times, but I kind of, I don't know if it's just because I was injured for such a long time. I, I got used to it and kind of just switched my mind off from it and just try to focus on myself. But it can, it can beat you down. Fairly certain that was against Manchester United as well, um, which was... I think it might have been, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it was. Um, yeah. Where, where, where Paul is now. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, in, in terms of as your, your time at Newcastle went on, and obviously you had a couple of loan spells, um, out where, again, um, I know we spoke before and you said the injuries kept frustrating you every time you thought you were going to get a chance. Just Was there a point where you just thought, this just isn't going to happen now? Did you, did you hit that point? There was a few kind of occasions. I think it, because I kind of like built myself up and I had a date in my head when I was going to be back fit and then, Say I got to the point where I was outside doing a bit of like running, doing a bit of goalkeeping stuff, and I was feeling positive. I was like, right, this is I'm getting the buzz back, I'm feeling good. And the next session, same thing, I'd feel good. And then it would get to like, I remember there was a point where with my knee injury, I got to the last session before I was going to be declared fit, and we started doing some crossing. Crossing it was all right, and then literally the last cross, I came up, caught a ball, landed, and my knee just just gave away. The pain just came back straight away. Um. And it was like back to square one. It was really like out of the blue. So like when I was building myself up and trying to trying to pick myself back up to the point where I was going to be back fit mentally, like, right, I'm back fit, now I'm going. Then getting knocked down, that was the worst thing about it kind of thing. Um, I've lost track of where I'm going with this. But anyway, <laughs> it is. it was just because I was having so many highs and then so many massive lows. Um, it was kind of hard to... To see the light at the end of the tunnel, and it wasn't in the sense that I gave up, but it was just the sense that, like, I thought this uh, Liam Smith's maybe about it. He said he, he literally got to the point where it was like, like, what do I do now? Like, I've yeah. tried everything, I'm getting to the point where I'm running, I'm doing kicking the ball and stuff, and then things just happen, go again, and you're back to square one. Um, so it is, there is times where you do think, like, this is never going to happen, but you've just got to. It's nice to see when there's other examples out there of people who have had similar injuries and stuff or long-term injuries. And like there's people who have brought that. I can't, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but people who have like brought the leg and said they're never going to walk again, never mind, never play. Yeah. Um, and then they come back from it. So you got to look at stuff like that. And there's people who are worse off than you as well. So you've got to try and be as positive as possible in really, in really negative times, which is, which is quite mm-hmm. hard. Which, which, like you say, it's hard. It's almost impossible sometimes, isn't it, to like mentally get yourself in a position to accept. So, like after you've taken that cross and your knee goes to 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 kind of bring yourself back to reset, almost like how how you can't you can't even really prepare for something like that, can you? You go you go through like football and you you don't really think about injury until you get injured do you? you do all your injury prevention and stuff but at that point you're not really thinking about injury are you you, mm-hmm. you have yeah. to you have to prepare as it's happening almost don't you yeah and then as soon as you get that injury like once you have one injury you're constantly thinking about it like if you get one little yeah. niggle you're like that's, that's constantly on your mind like oh god is this going to get worse is this going to affect my performance down the line um but like there's a big mental thing about getting back from injury, which I believe as well, because like especially with long-term injuries, 
there's a, there isn't like a lot of studies and stuff going on about it as well. Just saying like if people who have long-term injuries, they're consciously thinking about their the, the knee, for example, the might the knee might actually be pretty healed, but because they're consciously thinking about their knees being injured and stuff like that, they're like almost mm. like developing pain in the like in the brain, like that isn't actually there. Uh, which I I'll try to like work on myself with one of my he's a PT and a psychologist sort of thing. So I try to do stuff with him to try and kind of just take my mind off my knee and not think about it as much. But it helped a little bit. But at the end of the day, the, the problem was there. So I don't know if it was just kind of, I had that injury for so long that it's embedded in my head kind of thing. And I'm, I'm thinking about it too much. So there is a big mental aspect of like psychology in terms of injuries and when feeling pain as well. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, 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 th- I think it's almost like, it's part of your brain almost trying to protect you as well because you've been in that position before and the no, I, I would imagine, like your brain, it knows the physical pain, but also the emotional pain and the mental pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done, so I've uh, done my MCL partially twice and I can, I can still feel that as if it's tender now. So I can totally, I can totally agree with you on that. The psychological mm-hmm. side almost becomes even more of a strain than the physical pain sometimes, doesn't it? Uh-huh, 100%. And I, I, I can remember occasions in games or in training stuff, like when I've been, even when I've been back fit now sort of thing, I've been in training stuff and then I've maybe took a cross or dive to my left or kick the ball or something like that and I felt a bit of pain and my mindset's just flipped like that and I'm that's all I'm thinking about and I'm not thinking about what's going on in the game. My performance just drops just because I feel a little bit of pain in my, in my leg or something like that. So... There is that aspect because when you're playing a game and stuff, you want to be in a state where you're not actually thinking. Like you are obviously concentrating on the game. You're in like an almost flow state where you just everything's happening naturally. That's when you perform best. But if you've got something in your head like, oh, my legs hurt, my ankles hurt, and sort of thing, that's just going to distract from you being in the in the best kind of mental state for you to perform the best you can. When you came to Woodsy at the end of your time at Newcastle, how did um, again? I sound like I'm putting. A lot of emphasis on the club here, but how did they yeah. how did they manage that situation? Uh, right at the end, so there were to be fair, some of the coaching stuff have been spot on. Was like I've had texts and stuff off Simon Smith, um, Andy Woodman, a few of the keeper coaches, Ben Dawson's texted me a few times. So they were great, kind of after that, uh, trying to help me. Uh, Stephen Harrison, who's one of the coaches there as well, he's been he was spot on with me trying to help me with the club. So he got me a trial at Rangers, got me a trial at Carlisle. Um, which so he was to help me out spot on, but there were it was kind of quite sad because I remember when I went into my meeting, obviously when I was finding so at the time I got myself back fit, I pulled my quad and I also had a double hernia, so I kind of that was right at the end of my contract and I knew when I got that injury I was like that's that's going to be it for me kind of thing. I've been out for two years and I needed surgery on it, so we decided to get the surgery done. But my end of the season meeting was with Simon Smith and. Chris Dirkman obviously said, look, look, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to offer you anything, which is such a shame because if you were kind of fit and we could say to the club that he's back fit, he's been playing a few games, you're doing well, you would have had that extra year. But it's just it's just the injuries and stuff like that, which was kind of, in a sense, I've seen it as a positive because they obviously see I've got the ability. It's just purely down to my body and my injuries and stuff that will kind of stop me from, from staying at the club. So they were spot on and they wished me all the best and were... Simon's been great keeping in touch with us and stuff like that. Um, so they were great in that aspect. The club was everybody, all the, everybody around the academy, like the chef, the education, everybody, kind of everybody within the club was always great and very kind of quite sad to see us go because I've been there for that long. So they're always very supportive. And every time I see one of them, they'll have a chat or drop me a text or something like that. So they were great in that aspect. Um, but obviously, when a lad, not just myself, but when any lad leaves a club, it's kind of, in, in a sense, I'm not their responsibility anymore because yeah. I'm not part of the club, which is, it's a sad reality. Like, it's the same in like, business. It's like, if someone gets sacked, like, you're not going to go, like, you might send them a text to check up on them, but realistically, you're not going to be, like, texting them all the time. I'm like, all right, I'll go and get you a job over there for you. Like, you've got to focus on your, what you've got in your business rather than focus on what you've got rid of because there's a reason why you've got rid of it. So, but it's a tough, it's a tough business to be in, but it's just the reality of it. It's it's a fine balance, isn't it? Because so I mean, working in clubs now, when I go in, I think it's it's very easy from the outside to kind of point the finger and say that clubs just kick kick lads to the curb and stuff like that. But I think clubs are getting better 
it's just finding that balance because you've been there so long and being it's mm-hmm. part of your identity. It's almost where is the cutoff and what what more can they be doing and stuff. And I think that I think football acknowledges that there's always more that can be done. And I think they're trying that, but it, it's so hard to just have that pulled away one day, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I know, especially I think it's worse. Like probably football is the hardest job to get kind of sacked from, and I feel in a way because you've been doing it all your life since you were a kid. You dreamt of being this Premier League footballer or at whatever level. You've always dreamt of it, and you've dedicated your whole life. I know a lot of lads. Kind of when it was around school time, they did the GCSEs and education. They would kind of they wouldn't really put the F into it because they always knew that they were going to go and play full-time football. Like a lot of lads maybe don't have the grades and stuff. So when they come out of football, they can go and get a job or go to university and stuff just because they were purely focused on it, which is one of the reasons why a lot of the lads really, really struggle when they come out of it. And as well, because you're in full-time football, I remember even when I was like 13, 14, 15, my school holidays were all football. So I didn't have time to get a little part-time job go and do some experience working somewhere else or try different things, which is what I did a podcast with a lad called Ross Cahoon, who used to play for Sunderland. He's a PT now. He was saying the one big thing that he noticed was when he was at Sunderland, he was in at like eight o'clock in the morning, didn't leave till five, six o'clock at night. So he had no time to kind of focus on anything else but football. And I think if you, you might have a passion for like, I don't know, painting or something like that, just as a random example off the top of my head, you might, but you might want to like dive into that passion. But because you're that busy at football, you've got no energy to like put into that, especially as a young lad, because young lads train more than the first team, which was another thing that I always, the one thing that I would, I would talk about, like when you're a young lad, you're literally in from eight o'clock till five o'clock. Whereas the first team, they're maybe in at nine o'clock for some breakfast and they're probably done by one o'clock, which is, which is something that I feel probably needs to be looked at a little bit more. I know obviously young lads can deal with the amount of training and stuff young cause, a bit more because the young lads and the bodies are obviously a lot fitter and a lot kind of less prone to injury. But that's something that I feel probably needs to be done. Allow lads to maybe look into other things, especially when they're, when they're at a younger age, just because they even say themselves that they might not make it professionally. There's only going to be one or two that make it professionally. So having that kind of something in the back pocket sort of thing, just in case mm. they need it. Like for me, it was my personal training. I was lucky enough to have time to do it, but that was only because I was injured. A lot of lads, if they're playing two games a week, training full time, you're, sh- you're shattered and you just, you're, all your energy's on that. Mm. It's even, even just letting them be kids as well, though, isn't it? When they're younger, oh, just letting them enjoy yeah. themselves, let them go out and play and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It does feel like it gets very serious very early. Like when when you do see even even I think even up to sort of under fourteens, fifteens, like it, it suddenly becomes a little bit too serious and yeah. And you forget that yes, everyone's trying to get to this. Can we get into the the under twenty threes? Can we get a, a scholarship? Can we get you know a pro deal eventually? But sometimes just just let them play. I think that kind of gets uh, lost. I think as well, there's a very fine line as well because you talk about if you want it to be the best, you literally have to like go tunnel vision on something, which um, I do agree with. But then there's the aspect of if you go tunnel vision on this thing and it doesn't work out, you're literally, that's when things like depression and stuff hit because you've put your whole life towards something, but it's not happened. So there's a, there's a fine line like having a balance between focusing so much on something, but also having almost a plan B. But like, but like I said, you can't have that plan B mentality. So I, I just don't know how to go about it, kind of thing. Um, but when, I do when, think, lads, go on. Sorry. When did when did it change from a hobby to kind of like right? This is something serious for you. Football. Probably young, you know. I can't even. I'm probably can't remember. It was always pretty serious. I always took it quite serious. I'm trying mm. to think of it like at an age, maybe around like fourteen, maybe fifteen. I think around fifteen, it does get really serious. Like I'm, I'd say because that's when it's kind of like, oh right, next year I'm going to be fighting for a scholarship to go full time. And like when you when you get offered an apprenticeship in a, in a Premier League football club, it's like it's like you won the lottery. It's like you've got a pro contract. So that's what it feels like to you. Yeah. Um. So probably around that time. But it's just it is but completely. To, sorry. To a to a certain extent, you you have almost won the lottery, haven't you? You know, it, you have, like yeah. for how for how many. And you've earned it. You haven't just won it by chance. You've earned it. Um, but you've earned it because you've had to be 
professional and you've got to show mm-hmm. you that you can be a pro at 14, 15 year old. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I know it is. Crazy. Was, it, was there a point when you stopped enjoying it? For me, the injuries killed me quite a bit. So when I'm, when I'm injured, like it got to a point where I didn't want to watch football. I always really enjoyed it, but when I was injured, I kind of my mindset changed in terms of watching football. I think the fact that I was kind of because I was injured, I was having to watch the team play all the time. Like whenever the under ratings played, I have to go and watch them. When the twenty threes played, I have to go and watch them. I just got sick of watching. Like just, I, I'd rather go and chat to someone with the, where the games on and watch the game. And then when it comes to, obviously, we used to get tickets to go and watch the first team. Like, obviously, I loved, when I was young, I used to love that. But it got to the point when I was injured that I just, I wasn't bothered. And if I, if I could sneak off early, I would sneak off early. Yeah. Like, just because I knew, I was, it wasn't as if I was watching it. It was point, it was pointless me watching it and trying to learn because I knew I was injured and I wasn't going to be able to now, all right, I'm going to watch what he, Dubravka does, for example, at the time. I'm going to watch what he does. And the next day in training, I'm going to, go and practice and work on stuff that he does better than me. I couldn't do that because I was injured. Um, but it does, like, like we're talking about, it getting very serious at a young age. It does kind of change. But I think injury was the main thing for me that kind of, when I started to lose the passion, and it was more the fact that when I got started to get the passion back because I was getting to the point where I was going to be fit, yeah. I just got kind of like slapped back down again and I just lost and I was just like, oh, there's no point watching it or whatever just the passion does kind of die a little bit when things like that happen how long after you released it did it take for you to sort of mentally adjust to what happened uh i think i think well i remember i went i had a, I had a pretty decent summer to be fair that that helped me i had a, I had a pretty good summer because <laughs> i hadn't read really, the last two summers i was literally in full time because i was injured i had like a, i had i think i had a week's holiday the year before but I was still training while I was away. So I didn't really switch off because of my injuries. So I was like, right, I need to kind of just like let myself have a good time. So I had like two weeks away. I had a good time. And then went back. Where did you go trial. most importantly? I, oh, I'd be from it. I'd be yes. there. And then, uh, of course. And then I went <laughs> to a festival and then I also went away with my family somewhere. So I had a pretty decent, decent little two, three week stint. Probably, probably, um, probably good to put in here. What happens in the Beatles stays in the Beatles. So don't yes, about well, that <laughs> That's a completely different podcast, I think. Ah uh, no, <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. But yes, yeah, so I had a, I had a good time, and then I I knew if I kind of got that out of the way, I could just literally write. I've had had me fun and stuff, and now like football's here. I'm just going to focus on that. So I went away. My first trial, I went down to Mansfield, but I was rusty, really rusty. I think. There's another topic me and Smivy talked about on, on my podcast, just going on trial places, especially first thing, like literally the first week of pre-season. And I hadn't, I'd been injured prior to the season before, so I don't think I played football for about six months beforehand. I'd done a little bit, obviously, in the off-season, but you can't really do too much training. So going in, and I was rusty. I was, I, had, I, I was there for a week, and I was crap, to be fair. I'm not surprised it didn't sign me. But then the next... When was it? was that your first the... trial? Was that was that your my first, first trial? trial, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so How did it feel to be going into a completely different club when you, you've been at Newcastle for so many years and then, yeah. how, like, what, what was the mindset for that? I was, I was kind of, I was quite positive leaving Newcastle. I always felt like it was like a fresh start for me and I'm like anywhere where I go, I'm nobody knows me kind of thing and I can just kind of show them what I'm about and it's, it's something exciting and new. Um, I was nervous because obviously everyone's nervous for a trial going into a different environment and stuff. But the setup and stuff was great there. Um, was this at Rangers? Was, no, this was at Mansfield. So I went to Mansfield for a week, and then so I done Mansfield. Obviously, I wasn't didn't have the best week, and then the next week I got a phone call. I was training, trying to. I was kind of a little bit knocked back from the Mansfield thing. I lost my confidence a little bit. But then the next week I got a phone call saying that Rangers wanted me up for a week. So that just lifted me up naturally. And the goalkeeper coach Colin. Con, I think it's Con Stewart. I think that's his last name. Um, rang me, or Con Scott, rang me, and was seen really positive. He was like, "Look, I've seen your clips. I've seen this and that and the other. Like, we want to get you up. We're looking for like, like a third choice keeper. Blah blah blah, sort of thing." And I was like, "Right, definitely get myself up." Everything was. I felt really welcome at the club straight away. Like, I felt it was a nice to kind of feel wanted when I got there. Um, so I did a did two days training, came back home with the goalkeepers and I was with the first team as well which was quite good and obviously I already knew Jack Anik who was up there Yeah. Um, so I kind of knew people and there was a few people who knew of people who I've played with so I got on with everybody pretty well 
Um, went up there, had a day off, came back, and then I was training with the first team. I made a save to my left, and my studs slipped, and I slipped, and I hyperextended my knee. My knee popped when I was up there. So that was, I was started, I really started to enjoy my football again on them two days that I was trialling there, and then I had my day off, my confidence was there, I was training well, and then I had a little setback with my knee. Uh, the club were great with it. Um, Stevie Walker, the physio, he kept me up there. He's a Geordie as well, I think. So he kept me up there for three days after my injury, making sure I was all right. And then it got to the point where like, they were saying, oh, I'll probably get a scan on it and get it, see what's checked out. But because I'm, I'm a trialist, I'm not their responsibility in a way. So they did everything they could. So that was kind of my trial. So unfortunately, like, luckily, it was only like two, three weeks that I had to rest um, after that. And then that was when the South Shields thing came about. But like, that's what I did start enjoying my football when I was at Rangers again. But just then again, and just another little setback that kind of knocked me. Um, and obviously the South Shields thing came about, so that was me getting back into football from there. Yeah, and, and South Shields, obviously, again, the injuries kind of stopped you developing there. Yeah, so I had like, played a few games pre-season, um, and then when was it? I had an ankle injury a few weeks in. I never had an ankle injury until until then, pretty much. I uh, had an ankle injury, and that kind of stopped me. Stopped me. Then I tried to play a game against Morbeth, and it just wasn't, I tried playing and stuff, and I had to come off after about half an hour, so that was that was no good. Um, but things just didn't work out for me at South Shields. Like, I was the set up at the clubs, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got massive potential to go places, but just things didn't really work there for me. Um, I ended up leaving early because I was meant I was meant to go and sign somewhere, but that deal completely fell through, and I was left without a club until until uh, January the following. So I left in September. I was left without a club until January. You've obviously moved on now. Um, you are, I know we've had conversations where you, you, you would like to get in at some point, at some level. Um, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll leave that for now. But you, you've moved on to other things and, and, and mentally seem to be in a, a really good place because of that. So, you mm-hmm. know, you mentioned your personal training. It's uh, something you seem to have embraced. Yeah, so even like anybody who played, like even when I was in your class, anybody who played football with me knew that I had a passion for fitness. I think it stemmed from being injured so much and being in the gym environment that much. I just, like, firstly, like, had an interest in obviously trying to fix whatever injuries I had. So that always, I was always interested in like what someone else's injury was, like what, what the physio was doing with them. Um, started enjoying time in the gym, which I think helped me through my injuries as well because I enjoyed it. Like, the lads obviously, some, and some of them hate coming into the gym and doing gym sessions or whatever. But look, yeah, I, look, I enjoy them, which got me through. So when I was injured at Newcastle, I got my level three personal training qualification. Um, got that done. So I knew, obviously, it was always there whenever I needed it. And then started it. When I was playing in Scotland, I had a bad ankle injury um, last, it was last June. Had an operation in August, so I had to move back home. So that was kind of, I knew, like, that was going to be my, that was my last chance of professional football. And I had a really bad injury, so... Probably won't the full time route probably wasn't gonna be the long term goal for me just through my body and the injuries I've had. So I started my personal training in December. That been loving it to be fair, because it's always been a big passion of mine. Like I said, I've always enjoyed doing stuff in the gym, always had an interest in because I've had a lot of injuries, it's quite handy because I can kind of help other people who have had similar similar ailments. So the gym that I'm working at at the minute, Nuffield Health. I've kind of, I've been getting all the people with bad knees, bad backs, bad hips and stuff like that. So anybody who's got pain that's like, I'll oh, go and see Ben, he'll try and help you out. But that's it's been I've been a blessing that I've it's a blessing in disguise that I've had them injury so I can help other people with it. Um I've been getting a lot of young footballers um asking for sessions, asking for advice, nutrition training, or they might have a like a little niggle um with the knee or something like that. So I've been trying to help them out, but it's a new, it's a completely different learning experience. Obviously, going out of full-time football into an almost real job, that was the big kind of thing for me. Like, my, I remember my first eight-hour shift. That was that felt like the longest eight hours of my life. And obviously, it's I'm used to it now, but the first time, I was just like, God, this is long. I remember coming in because my girlfriend's a nurse. She does like 13-hour shifts, night, night shifts, everything. I came off my eight-hour shift and just went straight to bed. I was like... She was like, you're such a part-time. I was like, this is my first one. Just give us a break. <laughs> but it's a complete, just different different lifestyle. Um, but obviously, I've started doing a little bit of football as well. I'm, I'm really enjoying it at the minute as well. So the main thing for me is, is enjoyment. And I think if I get my passion back for football, which is coming, then who, like, I don't know what can happen. And my personal training is going really well. And then obviously, I started my podcast process. Um, 
which I've been getting guests on. I've done a little podcast, just pure myself, explaining my story. Uh, I've had guests on, like I had Liam Smith on, uh, Roski Hewn, a lad, Alex Kitchen, he used to play, he played in Newcastle, yeah. went to Scotland, now he's a personal trainer doing really well. I've had loads of business people on, um, bodybuilders, I've had a, a touring car driver on, just talking about their kind of process in terms of like starting out young, kind of how they develop the passion for what they're doing, uh, how their career progressed, the kind of highs and lows and the reality of like the professional football for some of them or whatever kind of sport or industry they're in. Um, and the mental mental health aspect of it as well. So it's been nice talking to people about that and getting hearing different different stories because everyone's got their own little story. It's nice for people to be able to tell it. So me, me and Matthew have spoken quite regularly about the the impact of um, physical fitness on mental health, the positive impact it can make. Is that something you found when you're working with people that you know? If you, and obviously, I don't want to name names here, but if you've had people that are mentally struggling, improving mm-hmm. their their physical well being has a, a positive impact on that. Oh, massive, massively! Like I can't, I like, can't push exercise enough for anybody who's maybe struggling with depression, or even if it's just like anxiety or anything like that. Like the endorphins that you get released after a tough session. Never mind, just like if you've got a little bit of joint pain or something like that. The relief of that, like one of my first clients at Nuffield, she's she's a great lady. She won't mind me saying, Joe. She's like she's been struggling a little bit with her husband passing away and stuff, but I've been trying to help her out and she's been so good for it. Like the, like just me spending an hour here trying to get a move and get a bit of a sweat on, like you can tell how much it brings her up and she tells me all the time how great she feels after it, which builds me up as well. So it means a lot that can help impact someone's life like that. And even little things like one of our first sessions, like I showed her an exercise, she's been getting elbow pain. Um, I showed her an exercise uh, on like a, on the machine row, just a little adjustment that she can make. And then she's like, you know, this norm, this norm used to hurt me, but now I've got no pain and stuff anymore. It's just little things like that that can kind of help you long term. Um, start an exercise as early as you can. Like I've been working with clients who are ridiculously overweight who struggle to do a five minute walk on the treadmill, and then like two weeks, three weeks down the line, they're doing a twenty minute walk, and then they're sending me a text saying, "Brendan, I, like, I can walk upstairs better than I ever have before. My back feels better." Um, so I don't just work with like young athletes and stuff I work with anybody um, but you can I can't push exercise enough for anybody in terms of getting yourself feeling good getting your body moving um, the best you can like if you're sitting down at a desk all day you're probably going to have back pain and stuff and hip pain knee pain getting yourself moving getting yourself out even if it's just a walk for five ten minutes a day um, getting some fresh air there's so many benefits to exercise um, especially the mental aspect of it it's just a little bit of a a little bit of a, a clear mind space for you that was one thing that I always used the gym as like an hour gym session a day was like right this is my time to kind of switch off forget about all the issues that I've got going on like just focus and work on myself and then afterwards you feel you feel so much better for doing it I, I think just a, a final one for you if you can just push the process where can people listen to it yeah it's on iTunes, Spotify, and I think Podbean, that's the that's the podcast host that I, that I use, so Podbean as well. Uh, I put all, most of my podcasts on YouTube as well, so my YouTube's just Brendan Pearson. Uh, you can search Brendan Pearson Fitness, it'll come up. Podcast, just type in process or process Brendan Pearson. It should come up on uh, iTunes, Spotify, and like I said, Podbean. We do always round off with uh, two, two. Can I ask one more question before you do the last round off? Because I've, no. I've in, all right, okay. what a a dick I haven't missed this I haven't missed this Um, so if you could say if if you could give younger Brendan some advice or a young player um, that's coming through or even for a parent of maybe if they are going through injury or selection or that worry of what happens next what would be your advice I think with, with what you're saying about how you did because you were injured you did that PT stuff you almost had that fallback. So, like, what would be your advice for somebody in that? Yeah, I'd say 100% if you've got some sort of passion, or even if you don't have a passion for something, just put your mind into something else. Like, try different things. Like, not just just not, not just for young people, uh, young footballers, but for anybody. If you are struggling to kind of, if you are struggling for a period and you're not sure what to kind of do, maybe you are a young footballer and you are injured for a time, and you're like, what do I do? I'm like, I need something to switch off. Just try different things. Like, I don't know, like I said before, try painting, try random things you've never tried before and something will come of it. The best thing you can do is go and actually do something rather than just sit down because if you try something 
that might not work. And you might try something that just gets the ball rolling and it builds up momentum the more that you can do. And then you mentioned about parents. I think parents of young footballers probably need to, they probably don't understand what's going through young footballers' head, especially maybe if they've been let go. They might just think, oh, you had a good time playing football full-time for a bit, now go and do a proper job. You've got to kind of be quite mindful of what they're actually going to be thinking, maybe talk to them, maybe just have a word like, oh, you're doing all right, how's, how are you coping with things? So I think adults, like even if it's like a coach, parents, anybody, they have a, just have a little chat, like, like say to a young footballer, oh, like here's my number, if you need a call, if you need a text about anything, do it because I know what it's like as a young lad that like you don't want to you don't want to come out and expose things it's kind of takes it took me time to kind of be able to talk about things like when I was at the time I was just got on with it and dealt with it in my own way um, rather than kind of talking about it but I've been lucky that I've had like my girlfriend's been great with me my family's been great for, with me uh, my close friends just having someone to talk to um, but yeah advice is do stuff and get like, advice their parents Get um, go and talk to your child. Go and talk to someone about it. I can see Brendan Pearson painting coming through. By the way, <laughs> oh yeah, it's, I'm always going to go. In. I don't know why I've said painting so many times. Like, it's just the only thing that comes into my head. You're gonna have to now, go and create some art after this. I'm not an artist. Like, that was not my specialty at school. Like, definitely not. And Matthew, the last two things we always ask every guest. Yes, thanks for thanks for letting us ask that question. By the way, that was really nice of you, Mark. It's oh, right, a good question. You you can ask the next two questions. Oh, I want you to. I want you to now. <laughs> uh, okay, right. Um, it's been a while, so I, I need to rejog my memory. No, so what we always ask for every uh, person that's been on the podcast um, is basically two things uh, to wrap up. One is a coping strategy that you use to look after your own mental health and that could literally be anything it could be I don't know painting for example <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and then... I'm going to get you for this now aren't I I'm going to get so much sick <laughs> mate it's coming out and see it um, so yes yeah, so one, one coping strategy and then one like one quote or one kind of uh, mantra, anything, one sort of kind of thing that you use, maybe part of your process. Mm. I'll put that little plug in for you as well, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so coping strategy and a quote of some sort. Um, so for me, coping strategy that worked well. Well, training. It doesn't have to be like exercise. It doesn't have to be like going around smashing heavy weights around squatting and stuff like that. It could literally be a twenty-minute walk a day. Stick the podcast in. Podcasts have been great for me. Uh, listen to people who are quite mindful and maybe people who are going through mental health issues. Like a podcast like this would be brilliant. So for people, <laughs> this would be a great one to listen to. But uh, just 20 minute walk a day, exercise, just that time to kind of zone out and maybe switch off. And it'll give you time to kind of think about what you're dealing with at the minute. Or maybe if you need to, just completely switch off from it. Um, but and then a little quote that I like is, oh, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head now. Um Today, do or was it? I'm gonna have to get off my phone here. I think it's today. I will do something that nobody does. So tomorrow, I can do something that nobody can't. Somebody can't. I can't remember exactly what it is now. I went absolutely blank. Um, I mean, if that we were both impressed with that, <laughs> just leave it at that. Even if it's yeah. not, yeah, I think with that, it works. Oh, today I will do what people want. So tomorrow, I can do what people can't. I think that's what it is. I think something like that. Yeah. So Jer- Jerry Wright, Rice, I think it is. Well, I went blank. I should really know her because I look, I, I say it all the time. I've just went blank. <laughs> She's two handsome gentlemen staring at me. Oh. Where? <laughs> <laughs> You're two people in a room. Um, yeah, Brendan, it's been a, a fantastic um, 45 minutes speaking to you. It's been um, eye-opening, I think, for, for, for young footballers, for young people, for people of all ages and fitnesses and abilities and um really appreciate you being so open with us um no, no. best of luck with with the process with the podcast if you can get on and, and subscribe to them um it is the the second best podcast out there um <laughs> behind ourselves obviously we'll say joint i'm sure we're going to stick all the links and stuff in for all, for all the stuff as well can't we mark just absolutely we absolutely can more. yeah um i think i think the the where this has been really good for, for for our podcast is actually it's a different angle to what we've talked about in the past in terms of as a young person and going through that yeah. that, that process mm-hmm. to be fair you know and so um yeah i think 
it's it's a good one for potentially parents who are involved with football who have young people involved to, and coaches and stuff to listen to. I would say. Brilliantly, are you playing off you say process? What? Yeah, I'm <laughs> giving a few little slide fivers. I'll send you my PayPal after this, friend. Don't worry, mate. <laughs> Sorry, I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, thanks to to everyone for for listening to this episode of the Mental Podcast, uh, brought to you in association with Bare Naked Foods and Ball and Premier Sportswear. Uh, give us a follow and subscribe. Uh, we are on pretty much everything going: uh, iTunes, Spotify. Um, what else? There's loads. We're on everywhere, aren't we? Yeah, we're on right, everywhere. Sound, sound and we're we're gonna, we're, yeah, we're we're on everywhere. That Face Tube, the the U U book, whatever they're called. Yeah, yeah. all of those. Yeah. <laughs> and we're gonna be back as well, Mark, aren't we? We are, yes. Yeah. So we are looking for anyone that wants to come on and talk about their mental health, um, any aspect of it, uh, coping mechanisms, anything you want to talk about, painting, for example. Uh, that that would be one if you want to talk about painting. Um, anything you want to do. Oh. Get in touch with us on on social media uh, at Mental Podcast. We're on Facebook, Mental Podcast, and um, we will we will see you soon. Stay safe during lockdown, which is still ongoing. Um, you know, abide by the the laws that are in place and the rules that are in place, and uh, let's all get through stay this alert. together. Stay alert. Stay alert.